Events for Breakfast, your go-to guide for advice, top tips and events industry insights. My podcast is delivered in bite-sized chunks to help you digest information and expand your events expertise. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Events for Breakfast podcast. I'm Kelly Frew, your podcast host. I hope you're all well and keeping yourself safe. So this week's episode, the topic is such an important one. And I have to say, I can't believe it's taken me 49 episodes to get here to talk about this. Yes, 49 episodes. So we're going to be talking today about accessibility in events and it is such a huge topic that covers many different disabilities both hidden and visual and I've got such a super guest that's joining me, one that I've been wanting on the podcast for such a long time and her name is Meg Strali. Now, as well as being a superstar events professional, Meg also works in sustainability. I'll let her tell you more about that very shortly. She is also a huge advocate and champion for accessibility and events. And I'm going to let her just take over this interview because it's her expertise, it's her area. And she's such a passionate person that wants to share her story around this. So without further ado, let's go and meet Meg now. Meg, it's absolutely wonderful to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, this is a conversation that's needed to be had. Um, and we I know that it's a big conversation and a big topic on a lot of event planners' minds at the moment. So I'm, one, I'm grateful that you're going to spend some time talking about this. Now, before we get into today's topic, though, let's start by finding out a little bit about you and how you got in the events industry. Oh gosh, this is an interesting story. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm an American, but I'd like to live in other countries. I currently live in the UK and you may be wondering, how did I even get here? So I graduated undergrad. I did media and communication studies thinking I was going to get into television production. And as I graduated, I realized I actually really hate it. That's not what I wanted to do for work at all. I just realized this, I can't do this. I can't live in New York. I can't live in LA. And those are the only two places you can really get jobs. So I took a pause and I was lucky my parents weren't pressuring me to rush into a job. So I took a pause and I was working part-time in retail And my neighbor actually is an event planner. She plans high-end weddings. Yeah. And one day we were just chatting and I said, you know, if you ever need any help, let me know. I'd be more than happy to help out. And it was love at first wedding. Brilliant. Um, I don't work in weddings anymore, but I just loved the rush of setting up, getting everything ready. It was just absolutely madness that day, but I loved it. And then I moved to Colorado a few years later. And I got into catering and I was volunteering with a lot of nonprofits. So I'm quite well-rounded in the industry. But as an American, you need to be working for a corporation to get really good health insurance, which is a whole other issue. So I tried applying to corporate. Even though I had so many different backgrounds and events, they said, don't have corporate experience. We're not going to hire you. And I'm sure so many people trying to get in the industry can feel that frustration. Yeah. So I decided to go to 
the University of Surrey to get my first master's in international events management. Nice. And that was the first time I moved to the UK and I absolutely loved it. But because of Brexit, I couldn't get a job after we graduated. Um, that was a bit frustrating. So I traveled and I worked around the world for a little bit. But then I went to Australia because while I was in the UK, I realized you can actually use events to benefit tourism and destinations. Yeah. You can actually use it as a positive benefit. And Australia had one of the best programs to kind of learn more about that. And then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so fast forward to now, I just finished my research year at University of Exeter. And I was studying how events can positively help Cornwall, a destination like Cornwall. Nice. I'm not going to bore you with all of that, but um, that's what led me to my current job. I work as a junior consultant for a sustainable events and business consulting company called Full Ego, and we help businesses and events become more sustainable. So I'm really passionate about sustainability across all pillars. So that's social, economic, and environmental. That's the long story of how I got into events. <laughs> I mean, what a, what a fantastic story as well. And um, it's wonderful that your journey has taken you across the world um, to different cultures. And, and I think events do that as well, generally, don't they? We get It does allow you to open your eyes into travel and things as well. So we are very lucky and fortunate in that way. Now, um, you mentioned it earlier around the fact that you love the buzz. You love the buzz of events. And that's what really got you into it with the weddings. But that was my next question around, you know, what inspires you and motivates you to get out of bed in the morning when, you, when you're working on events? The people aspect. I yeah. love creating something or putting something together that gets people talking and people meeting because events are not just something to do. They're experiences that we create. And I love at the, my favorite part of events is at the very end when people are leaving, not because people are leaving, but because you can see how the event impacts them. Are they laughing? Are they smiling? Do they make new friends? Like, is it something that they really enjoyed and they want to do again? It's, I think it's because I'm a people person. I like introducing people to each other. I like creating experiences that get people talking. So that's one of my favorite things about events. Yeah, but I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. You, we are creating these sort of experiences that become memories that people talk about in the future and remember. Um, and it's great that we're part of that. I absolutely love that too. Now we're going to come on to today's very very important topic, and I know as well as sustainability, this is something that is extremely close to your heart, and that is of course accessibility in events. Now. You know, some people might not even understand what that means. So I think probably the first thing we need to address is, can you explain to me, you know, what do we mean by accessibility in events? So to me, I think accessibility is helping meet the needs of anyone who needs it. And we also have to remember that accessibility benefits more than people with needs. Yeah. So one of my favorite examples is, you know, if you put closed captioning on virtual events, it doesn't just benefit people who are hard of hearing. It also benefits English second language speakers. It confirms what they're hearing is correct. And it also, just imagine you're at home. We're all still working from home. You have screaming kids, barking dogs, construction. Yeah. You have chaos going on and you may not be able to catch what's going on. Subtitles also helps you 
catch what's going on. You may actually not need them, but they do help. And my second easiest example is wheelchair access. Yeah. If you have kids, you definitely had those little prams. I think British people call them prams. Yes, we do. Yes. <laughs> have you ever noticed that moms with prams also benefit from wheelchair access onto buses, onto trains, and also into buildings? Yeah. So even though wheelchair access may be used for people with wheelchairs, it also benefits parents with prams. So accessibility is supporting those who have those needs, but also remembering that meeting those needs also supports the average person who may not have those needs. Absolutely. And, you know, you've touched on some really important points there around, you know, what is accessibility. Um, when I was working at the BBC, we were also doing some research around people with anxiety and people with anxiety tend not to like to be involved in big crowds. So we had, um, when we were doing big events, when we're getting back to those sort of big events again, but when we were doing the big events with lots of people in rooms, we were thinking about having quiet zones or chairs on the end of sort of conference rows where people with anxiety could go and sit so that if they needed to, they could get up quite quickly. So it's just, it's just thinking about everybody's different needs and supporting them to feel included really, isn't it? Yes. Um, and that's the most important thing, going back to watching people leave events did yeah. they feel included? Were they happy with how it went? Yeah. yeah, agree. Yeah, you want you want to feel like you're part of it, don't you? And, and that's so important. Now, you know, the events industry are starting to talk about this. And um, and I think events planners are starting to think about it more when they're planning their events. But how good as an industry do you think we are at this? So that is a difficult question for me to answer, because in some cases, they're absolutely wonderful. And then yeah. in other cases, they're not. So I think for visible needs and visible disabilities, event professionals are absolutely hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. You know, they're thinking about wheelchair access. They're thinking about access. They're thinking about small things that are easy for people with visual, um, visible, not visual, sorry, disabilities. But for invisible disabilities like anxiety, autism, yeah. potential blindness, hearing impairments, I think we have way more work to do and it's a bit frustrating, but we're getting there. You know, we're starting the conversations, we're talking about it, but I'm hoping we can move from talking to doing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and for you, for example, are a, a real champion of this. Um, and you are the reason that I now put captions on my audio clips because I I saw you talking about it on Twitter at once and um, it suddenly put, came into my mind. I was like, crikey, yes, of course. That's such a simple thing that I can do. So my audio clips for the podcast, I was like, I could put subtitles on it. And like you say, it's not just helping the people that are hard of hearing, but it's the people that perhaps haven't got English as their first language or just visualize things better as well so thank you for that Meg that was super helpful of you <laughs> oh, I'm sure um listeners by now may be wondering like why is she talking about this so for listeners who may not know me personally I have a hearing impairment um and I have something called a cochlear implant that helps me hear really well yeah it's not perfect but it does allow me to have conversations like these 
Exactly. And that comes lovely onto my next question, because I was going to say, you don't mind talking about the fact that, you know, you have got those needs and requirements for, for yourself and, and you want to feel included. So how I'm just wanting to open people's eyes a little bit. How does it make you feel when you when your audio requirements are not being met? You know, when you go to these events, what does it feel like? So pre-pandemic, it was so easy for me to say, you know, okay, you know, I can rely on lip reading, I can rely on sitting close to the stage, I can rely on those things, or I can just choose not to go to the event, I'm not really missing out. But because of the pandemic, everything's online. And yeah. I have mentioned before on other platforms that listening is not just something that happens for me, I have to work at it all the time. So if you think about it, eight hours on your laptop in meetings, listening to events, it's exhausting. Like by the end of the work day, I am so exhausted. Yeah. A way yeah. to put this in perspective is if you ever try to learn another language, try not thinking in English, try not thinking like you have to translate that language all day long. Just think about how tired you're going to be. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's the only way that I can put it in perspective is if you're learning another language, you're constantly translating in your head and making sure you heard things right. So coming back to the point, online is so easy to add subtitles. It's just one small thing you can do. You can just create a line item in your budget. It's just something that's really easy to do that benefits not just me, but everyone else. So when I ask for it and they say, I can't do it, well, if it's a huge event, we know that you have the sponsorship money to put subtitles in. If it's a huge event at this point in the pandemic, I fully expect all big events to have subtitles, especially with a large international audience. And when they don't, I sit and think, well, I'm tired. I really want to go. I'm going to go do something else with yeah, my time. Yeah. So it does make me feel like they're excluding me on purpose. But then I have to keep speaking up and, you know, poking the bear, being like, excuse me, like, why are we not here yet? So it does make me feel excluded and yeah. that nobody really wants to try to make me or other people feel included. You're right. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine. And I, I, I think you're right when you said that it, it's not, there's no excuse. You know, these big companies, you know, the big events have got money. It's not a big cost. It's a very small cost and it will benefit so many people. So absolutely, it's not an excuse. Now, for events planners, they might be listening to this thinking, oh, wow, this is quite overwhelming. You know, we, there's all these hidden disabilities and, and um, visual disabilities that we've got to think about, you know, and it, it is, it's a lot. It is quite big and it's another part of our job that we have to think about and plan for so what top tips would you give an event planner when they're thinking where do I start what sort of tips would you give them the first and important thing is open the door for conversation don't be afraid to ask questions there have been so many people that would approach me and be like I'm so sorry this is these are awkward questions but they're not awkward you know sometimes we have to get a little uncomfortable and have these conversations but they benefit both of us at the end. So the first most important thing is ask those questions. Yeah. Reach out to people. Just ask, ask, ask. Um, there are some easy things like if you do a quick Google, quick Google search, you can see um, visual impairment needs. There are some really easy ones. Make fonts bigger. 
make sure you don't use certain colors and there's certain um, percentage of backgrounds versus font difference that really helps them. So nice. just a quick Google search is really easy. Um, for me, it's um, use Google Meets or Teams because they have subtitle options. I will forever bash Zoom because it's been a year and a half since their lawsuit and they still have not made subtitles easy to use for the normal, just like regular Zoom meeting. Wow. Professionals can request Zoom um, subtitles for their events. I know that is out there somewhere, but I will forever be a Zoom hater. Um, and another thing is I have been discriminated at work because of my disability. And I'm sure so many others fear discrimination. So they may not voice their needs, especially at work, because they fear yeah. that, oh, you know, this is too much work. We're just going to slowly push you out of your job or they'll just get a no. And then they'll feel a little resentful. Um, just sit down and have honest conversation with your employees to make sure they're not kind of just tucking an invisible disability in the background um, because they fear discrimination. So I think the first thing is just have open, honest conversations and ask people what do they need. And Google is great for research, but you're really going to get your most important information from having those open conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And again, I mean, the BBC were very, very good at this. And we, as part of our feedback survey from the events that we used to do there, one of the questions was around, were your um, needs met, were your requirements met around, you know, disabilities or any special requirements that you might have? And I think, you know, we always ask about the venue, the food and the, you know, all of that, the content and things. But I think that's a really important question that you can get feedback on to find out because you don't, you don't know what you're not doing until somebody tells you really. So I think it's great to get that kind of feedback within your feedback service from your guests too. You've kind of co covered a little bit there around the next question. I was going to ask around research. So is there any research that's been conducted that we can point events planners to to sort of help them plan better? Oh gosh, so I actually did a little research on my own and I was shocked at how much research there is not. Right, wow. So I looked at Google and I looked at academic sources and there's really not that much yet, but I do love Attitude is Everything. Right. They do disability research, but it's specifically for the festival industry. Nice. But obviously having it be the events industry, there is some things you can take away yeah. from that. They also do training. I've spoken to one of their team members and they're absolutely wonderful. And they're trying to expand on their research around disability. Um, and also, um, I would suggest reaching out to specific disability charities. Yeah. Because... Um, I had a friend who worked on a vision charity event and what she learned from just working with them was absolutely like, it made her change everything that she thought she knew about the most simple things to make it more visual friendly. Yeah. So people who work at those charities are experts. Um, I know before I said, open the door to conversations with People who have disabilities, but you have to remember is we're only an expert in our disability. We're not an expert in training. We're not an expert in a lot of other things. And it can be emotional labor for us to come out and like bear our, yeah. you know, 
vulnerabilities. So I would definitely suggest reaching out to charities who do work to try to be more inclusive for invisible and visible disabilities. I, think I know that's, that's not idea. really helpful on a research front. No, but I think you're absolutely right. Like you say, they are the experts in that area, aren't they? So, you know, I'm sure if you think about television production, uh, if they're working with disabilities, they always reach out to the charities for help, don't they? So I think it, that is absolutely the right thing to do. And that's a great suggestion. I've not even thought of that myself. Now, you know, let's come on to a real out there question. Um, if my, my question is around, if you had a magic wand, now everyone would love a magic wand, and we could, you know, ask the global events industry to change one thing, what would it be? Uh, so this one would be to be sustainability minded. So now yeah. I know we all have to make a profit, but being sustainable across people, planet and profit. When you put people and planet first, you actually profit. So if I could change one thing at all, it would be to be more sustainability minded like that the three p's that is yeah absolutely and it is so important now so meg to wrap things up then um let's think about any additional tools are there any additional tools that we can point events planners to to help support them make better events so this is actually something that i've discovered recently i'm not sure if google meet does it yet but um teams microsoft teams does a transcript option where they transcribe pretty much the entire meeting into a document that you can send to people after the meeting, which is absolutely phenomenal. And it's a great tool because you essentially have the whole meeting transcribed into a document that you're able to send to the attendees afterward. That's brilliant, isn't it? That's what a tool. That's I think everybody in everyday life would absolutely love that tool. And I will definitely use that. I had no idea that that was there. So I will definitely, we're just migrating over to Microsoft Teams actually at work. So I will definitely look at that and, um, and look at that one. So thank you. Thank you for that. I think um, there are quite a few people. I should have gotten their names before getting onto this podcast, but I could send them to you so you can add them, put them in the bottom. Notes. But there are a lot of women in the events industry doing advocacy work. My job focuses on sustainability, so I haven't done much towards accessibility just yet, but they've been doing this for years, trying to advocate the events industry to become more inclusive. So I can send you those names for those women who have been working. But the biggest thing is the only tool we can have is honest and transparent conversations. Yeah. That's yeah. the only one. I think right now we're still, we're still behind on research. We're still behind on how can we be better? We're still behind on those conversations, but we are having those conversations, which is important. Yeah, absolutely. Speak up, speak up. It's the most important thing, isn't it? You know, absolutely. 100% agree. Now, Meg, if anybody wants to reach out to you to sort of ask questions or, you know, just find out more about what you're talking about, um, how, how can they find you? So you can always find me on Twitter at Meg Sterley. Um, I'm almost always on there, not lately, because I've been busy with work. They can also find me by email. Um, I can send you the email so you can put it 
and uh, it's just my name megxjerry at gmail.com great please don't call me no <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's not a good idea is it <laughs> no no that's perfect and I know you are quite prolific on Twitter and you are a good person to follow because you do put some little gems on there which is obviously yeah that's how I found you as well so Meg this has been fantastic I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and speaking about this today and I will keep in touch with you via Twitter I'm sure thank you thank you so much for having me you're welcome take care Ah, thank you so much, Meg. That was a complete joy to have you on the podcast and to share your journey and your story all around accessibility in events. It really was an eye-opener and I've listened back to the interview a number of times now and I've taken so much away from it myself, already being quite passionate about the area. I've learnt some little nuggets and I love the idea that to use the charities, go away and use those charities that are the experts in this area. So if you're working on events and you need help with a certain accessibility situation, then go and use those wonderful charities out there that have got that knowledge to support. If you want to reach out to Meg, then please take the opportunity to do so. I know she will love to hear from you. And likewise, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm Kelly for on all the socials and you'll find me on my website, storymakerevents.com. Don't forget the podcast has got its own socials. We're on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn and we are on Instagram. So please do come and join us and subscribe to the podcast so it drops into your podcast provider every week without you having to do anything about it. One more final plea from me, please do give us a five star rating on um, Spotify or on iTunes because it all helps for other people to find the podcast. Enjoy your week. I've got another super guest coming next week and it is our 50th episode. So we'll be having a good little party all around that too. Take care of yourselves and I will be back very soon. Bye for now.